The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of The Chris Sheeran Show on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes. Uh, you can go to iTunes, type in Chris's name, Chris Sheeran. show will pop up. You can download it for free 99 and listen to it on your smart device. And as Chris says, that makes you very smart. You may notice, however, that you are hearing my voice. I am Lou DiPietro, the nominal co-host of the show. Chris is on assignment this week, so we're trying something a little different. Um, we're delving into the wrestling world today. Uh, some big news out of WWE earlier this week. Uh, WWE World Heavyweight Champion, or should I say former champion, Seth Rollins, tore his ACL, MCL, and medial meniscus in his knee, will miss six to nine months, and the WWE Championship is vacant. Heading into the Survivor Series uh, network special slash pay-per-view in uh, two short weeks. So I have uh, with me today a couple of guests. And the first is a colleague of mine in an alter ego world, Pro Wrestling Illustrated senior writer Dan Murphy. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So, Dan, uh, Seth Rollins is going to be out until probably the summer with this knee injury. And, and WWE is in a world of chaos what was your initial yeah. reaction as a writer seeing this and, and seeing what's happening going into Survivor Series? Well, my first reaction when, when I saw it pop up, I saw it on social media first, and uh, I thought it was a kayfabe news story or something. I thought it was a, a joke, you know, a rumor that had gotten out. Um, but then as you looked into it, it was, it was true and serious, and WWE announced it, and it, it was legitimate. And it surprised me because Seth is in such incredible condition. He's a big CrossFit guy. Um, he's been working so hard and, and had such a spectacular run as WWE champion. And it's really a shame for it to be, you know, cut uh, short the way it has been. Uh, I don't know what the plans were leading into WrestleMania. You can kind of speculate about it and, you know, uh, Roman Reigns and some of the other things that were going on. Um, but it's just a shame that they have to kind of uh, abandon those plans and, and kind of start over and do something to crown a new champion of the Survivor Series. And we have, you know, just two weeks until Survivor Series. SmackDown aired last night. They, they inserted, a, you know, a taped um, commentary just letting everyone know Seth Rollins was injured and the title would be uh, contested at Survivor Series in a tournament, and SmackDown went on as normal. But we've got four shows between now and, and you know, Survivor Series airs uh, Thanksgiving, uh, the weekend before Thanksgiving. There's a little, little bit of time, but not a lot of time to build something up. I mean, are we going to see a rehash of the Deadly Game Tournament here, perhaps? Are they going to go back into 1998 and just say, look, we're going to throw all these guys out there for one night and see what happens? Or do you think WWE will be a little more calculated and say, you know what, we'll take a couple of matches, throw them together, have the tournament on Raw, SmackDown, and, and then go from there and see what we get? My gut feeling is that I would think that they would just, rather than rush it, I would do a, uh, you know, a, and this is just my thought, I would just do an eight-man tournament the night of uh, the pay-per-view. Um, an eight-man tournament is a really kind of manageable uh, show. You know, it's four, so seven matches all together. You know, the, the four first round, the two semis, and the finals. Uh, it put in a, a Divas match and a tag match, and, uh, you know, you've got yourself a, a well-rounded card. Um, you can do it, you can extend it a little bit more and have kind of qualifying matches on Raw. Um, what I'd rather see is maybe not have qualifying matches or a 16 or 32 man tournament and then, you know, have the final eight, uh, at the pay-per-view, but just kind of, you know, have everybody jockeying for position to get that invitation for the pay-per-view. Um, that makes the next couple of weeks of TV a little bit more intriguing without getting, you know, say a, uh, Xavier Woods against Roman Reigns, a first round match 
where, you know, the, the winner is pre-decided, you know, what's going to happen, and there, there's no sense even having the, the semblance of it's a tournament matchup. Uh, it's really an interesting thing because WrestleMania is only a few months away, four or five months away, um, and we're, that means we're beginning kind of the road to WrestleMania. Um, things were looking a little bit stale, and now this forces WWE's hand a little bit to, to, to kind of try something new. So between this tournament, the Royal Rumble, and then you know eventually culminating in WrestleMania, uh, we could have an entirely different title scene uh, than we expected going into the biggest show of the year. And like you said, it's really a chance to to possibly try something different. I mean, in a, in a tournament format, in in a vacuum, in a in in the real sports world, so to speak, you know, there are those times where VCU makes a run to the Final Four in March Madness out of nowhere. You know, yeah. of, of all the guys, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, you know, a few other guys are kind of Kevin Owens and Alberto Del Rio as the Intercontinental and U.S. champions. Kind of those guys you would expect to be the you know the number one seed, so to speak, in a March Madness type atmosphere, but. Who who would you see possibly being one of those guys? There's always one in the final four or five of every Royal Rumble that you're like, wow, this guy's got a legitimate chance of winning this thing. He's been there, you know, he's in there with the last few. Who who to that extent do you think maybe WWE's version of that Cinderella come come Survivor Series? Well, there's two. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I think that what you could do is you could either go with what I would do is um, you could either go with Dolph Ziggler as a guy who's been on the cusp and just kind of never really able to break through. And I don't know if he would necessarily win the tournament, but man, if, if Ziggler advanced to the finals, that would really be um, something. And the fans would rally behind that. They would they would kind of back him as the underdog, and it could do a lot for him uh, to kind of set him up for the next part of his, uh, you know, whatever direction he goes in next. The other option would be maybe look at a guy like Finn Baylor. Uh, get somebody from NXT and introduce them to the main roster and say, hey, you've got the NXT title, that's good for a, uh, a position in this tournament and, and just kind of introduce them to the fans that way. Uh, that would be a great way to create excitement, create a new star right away, introduce a guy from developmental to the main roster. Um, it really depends on how conservative they want to be. If you just want to say, okay, here's uh, you know the top eight guys, you got your Del Rio, Steen, and, and whoever, Rusev, whatever, you know, whatever guys you want to throw in there, and uh, Roman Reigns wins, there you go, it's all predictable by the book. Or you can really have fun with it and, and say, let's use this opportunity to try to create some new stars because they are definitely lacking on top. And uh, a tournament like this could be a star-making turn. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, too, because Randy Orton obviously is also injured. Um, he's going to miss a few right. months with shoulder injury. John Cena taking time off, and Brock Lesnar is, you know, MIA as Brock Lesnar tends to be at, at times during his, um, you know, his year. So this really is a shot. It's kind of like Seth Rollins going down. This is, you know, to put it in another sports analogy, this is the Cleveland Cavaliers that are already missing Kyrie Irving and John Cena, and now are, you know, if Kevin Love and then LeBron get hurt, Seth Rollins and Randy Orton, three top stars, you're looking to see, you know, who's really going to step up and become a big part of this roster. And, And that's really where, you know, even if they don't win this tournament, there's a handful of guys that can really put in a performance going two or three rounds uh, you know, maybe showing something like they have the chance to, to break through even if they don't win the tournament. Exactly. Yeah, there, there's a good thing about, um, you know, winning through losing. You know, you, you don't have to win the match necessarily. It, it, the Destroyer told me this uh, once many years ago talking to him. Um, he said that whenever he won a match, he acted like it was the hardest match of his, of his career. He was exhausted. He was winded. He, was, he, he looked like he had just been through a war. Because that made it look like, wow, he, he really fought for everything to win that match. 
whenever he lost a match, he would jump up and he'd be uh, upset and angry, and it made it look like, wow, the other guy just, you know, he, he fluked his way to a win, and, and the destroyer will come back next time. Uh, either way, you know, you can you can look good in a loss, you can look bad with a win, you know, you can either way it, it works. But again, like you're saying, uh, there's definitely kind of a, a bit of a vacuum. There's an opportunity if WWE wants to go this way to really build some new stars and, and give some people that, that real opportunity. They don't have to win the tournament, but just a good showing can really set them up for good things. That's something Dolph Ziggler, you mentioned earlier, as a, as a chance, a guy who's got a chance to break through, has made a career out of, is, is looking good no matter the circumstances. And he has a history at Survivor Series. Just a year ago, he was the guy that, you know, unseated the authority from down three-on-one, thanks to a little help from Sting. But, but The funny sp- thing about that is, though, think of that. That happened, and it, he went nowhere from there. You know, That's it, true. He, he was on the verge of breaking through that main event roster, and like he's done time after time. He'll get there and then just be dropped back down to the bottom again. So something like this might be enough to kind of you know give him that next nudge up, so he finally makes that step. One more question about the tournament, and he might be a perfect example of somebody who could you know in in, in WWE's eyes be a guy who could break through and win, but then still not get the brass ring, so to speak. Sheamus still has that money in the bank contract sitting in a briefcase wherever he goes, even if whether he's in the tournament or not, you know. He's got that briefcase, and the winner of the tournament is going to have to wrestle two, three, four, depending on how many guys are in at times during that show. This almost seems like the ultimate opportunity where he's just going to come in and, and lay waste to somebody and be like, you know what, this is my time, I'm doing it. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, again, it, it seems like the entire idea of giving Sheamus the money in the bank it was very odd because he'd already held the world title a couple of times. He, he wasn't really that impressive in the role. He was pretty good as a babyface. I think he lost a lot with the time off and then coming back as a heel. He just doesn't feel fresh. He feels a bit stale. And even giving him the money in the bank, it's not something you look forward to. When Rollins had the money in the bank and other people in the past who had it, uh, they were opportunistic, sneaky guys who you, you may have disliked. You wanted to boo them, but you were interested in seeing them. So when they would show up, it's like, okay, let's, let's see what happens. You don't get that with Sheamus. You know, Sheamus is just like, oh, yeah, that's, he's, that's his gimmick now. He carries around the briefcase. So I don't know what the original plan was to give Sheamus the money in the bank. Maybe he was a guy who, um, you know, wins it in December, January, somehow flukes his way through and then drops the title at the Royal Rumble. And, and then kind of, because I, I can't imagine Sheamus in the plans for WrestleMania, though. Um, but right now, it's a bit of a reset. So maybe you do do that. Maybe you have the tournament. You have somebody like a Kevin Owens uh, surprising the world and, and winning it. And, and then in his exhaustion, uh, out comes Sheamus and, and takes it away from him. You know, I mean, again, it's a lot of really neat fantasy booking that could be done. Uh, WWE, though, tends to typically play things close to the best. So I would expect maybe just a Roman Reigns to, to kind of win, uh, you know, maybe Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns in the finals. Uh, Ambrose shows a little bit more heel than he has, and, and Roman Reigns wins. That would make a lot of sense, too. Um, but in a situation like this, where you have this kind of vacuum of guys, Orton out, Cena out temporarily, Rollins out, uh, and a lot of the guys on the roster aging, you need to think outside the box a little bit. You need to find new ways to build new stars, because... Kane, The Undertaker, and, and that crew isn't going to cut it much longer.
I'm glad you mentioned Kane and Undertaker because that was where I was going to go with my next question. Moving on from the tournament aspect of Survivor Series, is it seems you know based on on what's happened the last couple weeks and especially on SmackDown that that we're looking towards a four on four, four on two, four on three, depending on who's on one side. Elimination match at Survivor Series was in the cards between the Wyatts and some permutation of Kane, Undertaker, and, and a number of partners. Is that something now, WWE's been promoting, this is the 25th anniversary of Undertaker at Survivor Series, and it's been kind of a heavy promotion for the show based on him. This still needs to be something, you know, that has to be done. But on the other hand, you've got Kane, who just wrestled for the World Heavyweight title at the last pay-per-view, and was in fact Seth Rollins' opponent in the match where Seth blew out his knee. It's kind of a strange dichotomy there, but this is still something that needs to go on, correct? Yeah, I would think so. I think that you really want to... uh honestly, it looks like it's Undertaker's, uh, you know, his swan song. Um, you know, whether or not he retires at WrestleMania, that is definitely the speculation. Um, and this is the last opportunity where, hey, let's reunite the Brothers of Destruction. Let's have, let's do something that's a little bit fun with the the supernatural stuff. You know, the lightning bolts and stealing souls and all of the, that's the stuff that Undertaker became famous for. Uh, and some of it was very hokey at times, but and a credit to Undertaker's talent, he, he managed to make it work for him. So, yeah, it makes sense to kind of do this traditional old-fashioned type feud, uh, a little bit of silliness in there, you know, the whole kidnappings and, and everything else that's been a part of it. Uh, but I'd like to see that through and then begin the build for whoever his opponent will be at, at uh, WrestleMania. Very possible if it is Undertaker's swan song, could it be a tag match at WrestleMania with him and Kane against somebody, you know, he's fought his brother a couple times at Mania, and now one last time he teams with him? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that, uh, because I think that this feels like this is the, the placeholder until he has his next singles feud. Uh, this is just kind of a nice little feel-good thing, um, I would expect, where he and Kane kind of make peace, they, you know, maybe a tag title run briefly, or uh, they don't even need the tag titles, but... Just a, a run where they team up occasionally, and then they kind of, you know, uh, that last ride, the tip of the cap and everything to the fans. Uh, but I see him at WrestleMania having a, a singles match because he's always had singles matches. He's, he's excelled in singles matches, and it's his calling card. So it would be nice to see him go out, uh, you know, uh, in a meaningful match, whether or not it's on top or, or not, it doesn't really matter, but... Uh, to go out in the singles matches is, I think, uh, what I would book for The Undertaker. Given, given that thought, then, with everything that's going on, with the championship being vacant until Survivor Series and kind of a reset going on, does the thought of having The Undertaker then win the Royal Rumble and be the challenger for the championship in his retirement match at WrestleMania kind of, kind of make sense or, or bring a feel-good aspect to it? Or maybe is it somewhere where this is the time that The Undertaker-John Cena match that's been you know, talked about, wanted, bandied over, predicted for years, now actually takes place where it's the biggest icon versus the biggest icon on the biggest stage of them all. Yeah, you know, that that does make sense. Um, I've always wanted to see, and I've talked about it for a few years now, and, and we're kind of seeing it a little bit, but the Brock Lesnar feud kind of did this, but I would have loved to see The Undertaker... Um, play the Terry Funk role that, that Terry Funk played in ECW, you know, back in the late '90s, which is the guy who he's he's closer to the end of his career than the beginning. He's middle aged and crazy. Uh, he, he's not as strong as he used to be, but he's still got the guts. And the you know you're going to have to go through hell to beat him. 
And I'd like to see The Undertaker presented that way. Um, Lesnar kind of humbled him a little bit. Uh, but again, that's Brock Lesnar. You know, that, that's, that's kind of beyond the norm. But I would love to see, you know, present The Undertaker as a guy who's got uh, weaknesses because that makes a, a character that much more compelling. And if you had The Undertaker go through and win the Royal Rumble in, in dramatic fashion where, you know, he, he took a beating and, and he survived and he hung in there rather than come in at, you know, number 27 and, and knock out four guys or something like that, that could be really compelling. And then you can tell that story because I think to make that story work with its, his career or one last shot of the title or whatever the stipulation you want to put on it, I think that you really need to rebuild The Undertaker as a human being to make that really kind of resonate. Um, that, that's what I'd like to see happen. You mentioned Brock Lesnar there with that, and I have sort of two questions with Brock before I move on to the next topic. Number one, sure. <laughs> number one, you know, do you bring Brock, if you're WWE, you kind of figured Brock Lesnar was going to be out of the picture for a while. With everybody out, do you bring him back to at least be in the tournament so that even if somebody gets a fluke win over him, it's a, it's a bit of a bigger rub? Number two, do you bring him back as maybe one of Undertaker's partners for this match at Survivor Series, knowing you know they just went through war together, it's a respect tip of the cap, and Brock's a mercenary who can come in and just destroy everything he sees? That would, I, of those two options, I would prefer the, the second. Um, I wouldn't want to have Brock Lesnar in the title tournament unless your plan is to have him champion at, at WrestleMania. Uh, and, and, you know, a, a rematch with Roman Reigns challenging Brock Lesnar or something along those lines. Um, because if Lesnar's in the tournament, I, I think he, he kind of needs to win. Um, I mean, you can always do the slip out of banana peel and something happens, a DQ or whatever, but... Uh, if you're going to insert him in that, that championship picture, I think the way he's been presented is he's so much head and shoulders above everybody else that he'd really have to be the guy to win the tournament. Uh, alternatively, if you bring him in, I love the idea of him just having the mutual respect for Undertaker. Uh, the only thing that's kind of a shame with that is after their match at the pay-per-view, the match ended and, and Undertaker trying to do his sit-up. And, and, and they, again, this is me thinking of the Terry Funk style weaknesses. It took him four or five and the fans understood what he was doing. You know, it's, it's not as easy for him to be the dead man as it used to be. And it was very well told. But then when the Wyatts came and attacked it, and they didn't do it quickly. They slowly circled the ring. They, they moved in, you know, calculated. How come Lesnar didn't come out at that point? Um, and, and I think that that's going to be a glaring mistake if they bring Lesnar in as, as a tag team partner. It's like, well, you know, you had the opportunity to stop it when it all happened. How come you're, you're just being his... Uh, you know, his, his ally at this stage of the game. I think a lot of people thought that way. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that way, too, wondering if Brock Lesnar was going to come back and make the save for The Undertaker at the end of Hell in a Cell, and it never happened. Yeah, I remember Dusty Rhodes uh, had, had talked about this at one point. Or actually, I think I was in a... J.J. Dillon mentioned this. He was talking about a storyline that they did uh, back in, in, in the NWA in the Jim Crockett era where I think it was when Magnum T.A. got jumped. Uh, but Dusty Rhodes did an interview earlier in the broadcast and uh, had said, you know, I'm leaving now because I'm going to uh, be going to do, you know, the hospital to visit some sick kids or something like that. And they, they acknowledged that Dusty Rhodes was leaving the building. So, you know, half an hour later, when the Four Horsemen attacked Magnum T.A., uh, it made sense because the fans knew, wait, Magnum's here by himself. His, his ally is not here. You know, a little storytelling like that makes a very big difference, and that's something that's really kind of gone by the wayside uh, these days. 
There might have been a little bit of that in terms of, you know, for guys that just fought the Wyatts. I mean, after Hell in a Cell, after the Bray Wyatt-Roman Reigns match, there was that little backstage kind of, you know, consultation with, with Reigns and Ambrose. were like, let's go celebrate. And that explained them away from maybe even making a save, coming out and, and fighting the Wyatts again, which they had just been doing. And it may have also even, if you go back to WrestleMania, you know, Dean Ambrose was, was taken out of the, the ladder match, and Seth Rollins then cashed in right away. So... You know, it was kind of one of those things where th- that could be explained away. So I-, I see where that would have been a, like you said, with that Dusty Rhodes example, would have been just a great easy way to say, you know what, this guy's not here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but in a case like that, and that works great for for Rollins and, and Reigns. It, it doesn't work as well for Lesnar, you know, who, who was just who theoretically must have walked by the Wyatts as he was walking <laughs> to the back and right. they were walking out to the ring. Right. So yeah, it's uh, it doesn't work as well for him. Let's move on to what to one last thing we know is happening at Survivor Series. We know we're getting Charlotte versus Paige for the Divas title. Um, you are the the guru of the PWI Female Fifty, which that uh, that issue is out now digitally and out in print later this month. Uh, and Nikki Bella is number one, the former uh, Divas champion, the longest reigning Divas champion in history, and the previous Divas champion. With this Charlotte Page feud right now, and with everything going on, Nikki Bella is also you know taking some time off to heal some injuries. I don't want to say, is that a blessing in disguise for the rest of the Divas Revolution? But now the focus can't be on Nikki Bella. Maybe the focus is on the rest of them, and they can put together the matches that we've seen out of Sasha, Charlotte, and Becky, and Paige in NXT. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> to, to use an expression, the, the Divas division isn't going to have Nikki Bella to kick around anymore. <laughs> um, she's been a scapegoat. You know, a lot of people just don't like the Bellas. And, and, and it, we've, it, it was definitely controversial to all having Nikki at number one in the female 50. Again, though, she held the Divas title for almost the entire year, over 300 days. When you're holding one of the most prominent, the most prominent women's championship in the sport over that period of time, I mean, you had she had a, a career year. She was really the, the very clear and obvious choice. Not the most popular choice. A lot of people, you know, prefer Sasha Banks or Paige or others. Uh, but what she really accomplished was, was pretty spectacular. Um, that being said, she really did a, a, she was underrated as a villain in the Divas Revolution. Uh, the Divas Revolution happened as a reaction against her and, and Brie. You know, people were so upset with the Bellas that they wanted the, the new blood and the younger girls or, you know, the, the girls from NXT to, to come up and rise up. That doesn't really happen if you didn't have that really strong heel work that the Bellas had going for them. Uh, now, it'll be interesting to see if Charlotte and Paige can, can kind of get to that level because neither of them can generate anywhere near the heat that Nikki and, and Brie Bella have. Uh, the matches, yeah, they can have spectacular matches. Although I would say in the last two pay-per-views, I think Nikki carried Charlotte um, in, in those two matches. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. But with Bailey, uh, you know, ready to come up at any point, Sasha really underutilized badly right now. And uh, the former Kana Asuka now in, in NXT, um, things are really going to pick up. It's going to be great in the Divas Division, I think, for the next uh, for the foreseeable future. Right, and NXT really just reloaded with you know not only as you mentioned Asuka, but um, you know Billy Kay, Peyton Royce. That group of girls has come in. You know Emma and Dana Brooke have gotten their own thing going. So even though it's really Bailey is the only one left of the original Horsewomen down there in NXT, they've they've really you know fleshed out the depth of that division. Nia Jax as well. 
and begun just, um, you know, begun rebuilding as they did when Paige and, and everyone else left, too. Yeah, yeah. And the great thing is, and there's more that are, are still being signed. Uh, Athena was just recently signed. She hasn't, I don't think she's made her debut yet. Or she might have been in a dark match, I can't recall. But uh, And I know that some of the other girls uh, just had some tryouts uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, so, uh, who was it? Evie, I think, got a tryout along with uh, Shaza McKenzie. Um, so NXT is doing a fantastic job of really scouting the women on the independent scene. And they know that they're there and uh, they're making the contacts and, you know, things are only going to get better and better. I'll ask you, this is the last question I have for you, since I know you have your finger on that pulse and, and work a lot with Shimmer and everything as well. Of everyone that may be out there now, there's that crop of people, you know, on the men's side, people are like, oh, how is this guy not in NXT yet? Who are the one yeah. or two on the, you know, in the American independent scene right now? that are those people that are, hey, how are they not signed to NXT yet that may be the next crop of people beyond this group that's just been signed? Well, three that I can tell you right away. Um, I mentioned her earlier, Evie. Evie is spectacular. She's got the look. She's got the charisma. She's got the enthusiasm. She's so fluid in the ring, and she's just a, a very uh, a great presence but a great striker. She, she can easily step right in there and, and be there with Bailey and Sasha Banks with, without missing a beat. Uh, the other two that I would uh, love to see in there, and I think deserve an opportunity in NXT, uh, Cherry Bomb, who uh, was number eight in this year's uh, Female 50. She's recovering from a badly broken yep. collarbone right now that requires some pretty extensive surgery. And she finished um, the match, no had... less. <laughs> she, fi- she finished the match after suffering that injury as well, too. Oh, yeah, did she, not? Yes. she won the match. Yes. Yeah, she, she finished the match and, and put away uh, Candice LeRae with a super kick after, uh, you know, and if you ever see the x-ray of it, there's about a three-inch gap between where the bottom of the bone is and where the top is. But, like, it, it was a bad, bad break. Um, but she's she's uh, gutty, and she's a great personality, uh, and, and she'd be a great win for the uh, NXT Women's Division. And the other is kind of her rival, another Canadian, uh, Courtney Rush. Um, Courtney Rush was number nine in the female 50. Uh, she's just kind of rolled out a new version of her character, a little bit of a, kind of a mankind-type uh, character, uh, a little bit kind of bipolar, uh, but Courtney Rush teamed with Sarah Del Rey, and, and they were really great as a tag team. And in a lot of ways, I think that Courtney Rush has become Sarah Del Rey's successor on the independents. Uh, so, I mean, everybody knows what Sarah Del Rey can do, what Sarah's brought to the table in NXT. It would be great to see uh, Courtney uh, have an opportunity to kind of follow through with that. Possibly even a pet project with her former partner now, the assistant coach dealing with the Divas and the women down in NXT. Dan, we know you are the guru of the of the women's division for PWI. Uh, the PWI Female 50, as I said, is out now digitally, so you can catch all 50 of the girls that Dan has profiled. And uh, I know you and our next guest have the PWI podcast as well, so I'll give you a quick chance to, to plug that for everybody if they want more on, on these things on a weekly basis. Well, here's the thing. What I have to do is I have to, once a week, sit down with that, uh, that dimwit Al Castle, and I have to tell him what's what, and I have to put him in his place. So uh, that's what I do on the PWI podcast. Yeah. And Al and I just kind of—it's—it's it's really nice. Al and I have a really nice kind of chemistry where um, we, we disagree uh, on a lot of things, uh, but um, we do interviews, talk about wrestling, talk about trends, talk about everything that's going on, and um, we have fun with it. 
So that's the PWI podcast. I've heard there's a couple of episodes where you have a guy who's an NXT expert that's been on, and they've been really good too, right? Is that I, I, don't, I don't listen to those. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> hmm. I wonder if people no, figure those, that those, out. <laughs> Those have been some good episodes. <laughs> I, I appreciate you joining us on those, those uh, podcasts. Well, I likewise appreciate you spending a half hour of your time or so with me today to, to talk about the state of WWE here on, on YesNetwork.com and iTunes. Dan Murphy, PWI Senior Writer, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And there you have it from Pro Wrestling Illustrated Senior Writer and Podcast Co-Host Dan Murphy. And brought up a lot of, uh, lot of interesting points that we can uh, talk to our next guest about. And with all that said, we bring in our other guest today, the second senior writer for Pro Wrestling Illustrated of the day, Al Castle. Al, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. How are you, Liz? I'm doing well. Doing well. Hope you're doing well as well. Um, It's a beautiful day here in New York, but not so much in the WWE uh, landscape as (laughs) Seth Rollins is is on the shelf for six to nine months uh, with a knee injury. Talked to Dan Murphy uh, earlier uh, in the podcast about uh, the situation, and um, I'll ask him this, ask you the same question I asked him right off the bat. When you first saw this news uh, as a writer, what was your reaction? Well, I might be completely in the minority on this, but I sort of see this good news. I mean, in a roundabout way, um, and that might—I mean, certainly you don't wish injuries on anyone, and and I hope just for his his health sake, uh, uh, Seth Rollins gets better soon and heals quickly. Um, but I think for so long, certainly uh, most of this year, and certainly the the, le- the second half of this year, uh, fans, writers, everybody have been waiting for something to shake WWE from its doldrums, and um, low ratings um, don't do it. Dead crowds don't do it. Um, it, it. It seems like they've stubbornly sort of insisted on going a certain direction, even if there's all kinds of signs pointing to the direction not working, and. Um, Maybe this is what it takes to to force their hand to shake things up a, a little bit. And if uh, history is any indication, it's happened before. It, it's only been when uh, they've been forced to shake things up to create stars to have some mobility uh, in in the upper tier that they've done that. Um, so, and it's funny, Dan and I even before Seth Rollins' injury, we were talking about this. I think on uh, last week's uh, PWI podcast uh, when we just knew about. Randy Orton's injury and um, John Cena taking the time off. Uh, and those two alone were pretty big hits. Now you lose Seth Rollins, you've really lost your number one, two, and three. Um, and maybe, maybe there's some wiggle room there. Or Seth, uh, Roman Reigns probably belongs in that conversation. Uh, but, but now I don't know that they really have a choice. And, and in a weird way, the only thing that uh, bothers me about this is that uh, I feel like it might be too temporary. And, uh, you know, Randy Orton may not be gone that long. John Cena, and this is where I'm really concerned, knowing John Cena and the workhorse he is and the company guy that he is and how important he is to the company, I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see this this vacation, whatever you want to call it, cut really short like he's back by Survivor Series um, kind of thing. And, and maybe WWE maneuvers things in a way where they're not forced to make some of the changes that they uh, need to make. Uh, but I'm, I'm optimistic that, that this forces their hand and um, makes them uh, make decisions or, or, or expedite decisions that otherwise uh, they wouldn't make. And they think of guys like, I mean, the most obvious is, is Roman Reigns, and maybe that was yep. inevitable anyway, mm-hmm. but yep. I would think to guys like Kevin Owens and Alberto Del Rio, um, 
have have the chance um, to really do something here and benefit from this. And it's not necessarily just moving into the top uh, star position or a main event position, but even a guy like Cesaro could benefit if right. you know if if a Kevin Owens moves into that top tier, then a Cesaro can move into um, that tier that Kevin Owens is on. Everybody can move up a little. And um, th- that could involve NXT as well. I mean, do they tap NXT uh, now and call some guys up who they otherwise would have waited around or, or maybe never called up at all? Uh, it-, it just it all serves to light a fire under WWE, I hope. You, you know, it's funny that you, you mentioned that it's the next man up philosophy, almost like, like we have in, you know, in, in baseball and other sports. It, it's the next guy up, and then the next guy has to fill his role and so on. Right. You, you mentioned Cena, which is an interesting thought process that Dan and I did not get into that, that now you've delved into. Cena is scheduled to be back for you know, the Madison Square Garden show and then that little run of shows around the end of the year right after Christmas. That was sort of his comeback. That is still only about six to seven weeks away. Is this really a situation, as you mentioned, where, you know, this could just be, all right, you know what, we're going to go back to John Cena because it's, that's what it is and, and his vacation is off? Or, you know, WWE has been dealing with record low ratings, as you mentioned. Raw, I think, has set a new record low rating a handful of times in the last three months. There's almost a thought among outsiders that really could it get any worse. This really does seem like the time now to just pull the trigger on something completely different. And if it, you know, if it fails, for lack of a better word, if it doesn't get any better... A month from now, you've got John Cena scheduled to come back anyway, and he's just your top guy again. Yeah, I mean, it really is almost kind of you got nothing to lose sort of scenario. Um, late in the year is always a down period. Uh, the Rumble is still about two, three months away. WrestleMania is six months away. So if this all had to happen, it's best that it happens now. And um, you're right. I mean, and, and uh, I mentioned that. I, don't, I think one of the issues here is that Cena's departure maybe isn't going to last long enough. But even if it is uh, a month or if that's cut back and he's back by Survivor Series, it gives you a few weeks and WWE's got three hours to fill every Monday night and they've got to find a way to fill that now without John Cena, without Seth Rollins, without Randy Orton. Um, and again, may- maybe this isn't all that fans um, wish for and-, and could be, uh, but it's something, you know, e- even... And the hope is that whether it's WWE's intention or not, Something catches fire, you know. So, so maybe they don't put the the pieces in place to create stars and to uh, uh, have all this mobility. But in the absence of, of some of those names that really suck the air out of the room so much, maybe some of it happens organically. I mean, right. you know, maybe uh, Cesaro is 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 put in a match that he otherwise wouldn't have been put in, uh, featured on on Raw or SmackDown. And tears the house down. You know, I'm not, he, he's done that enough times that I, I don't know that that would make that much of a difference. <laughs> right. uh, uh, but again, I mean, mm-hmm. these are uh, consequences and, and circumstances um, outside of WWE's hands, and that's a good thing. I mean, they, they've got no other choice but to react. And if they, if if Rollins was healthy, if Cena was around, and if Randy Orton was around. Uh, there'd be no reason at all for any optimism of things changing. Now at least there's some reason. To, to liken this, again, back back to baseball and back to the Yankees, our bread and butter, you know, two years ago with the pitching staff, with all the injuries, the, the team had to find out what guys like Shane Green could do and, and brought in players like Brandon McCarthy. Last year, to an extent, with Severino, too. Now it's WWE's turn with, with their big guns, with their Tanakas and Pinedas 
out out of the picture right now to try to find that guy. You mentioned Cesaro. Um, Dean Ambrose has been mentioned, of course, and Dolph Ziggler. But if you had to peg one guy who maybe has either been under the radar or been a little bit shy of their potential, so to speak, over the last six, eight months that may get a chance now to break out and do something good, who might you peg as someone WWE would look at and say, you know what, this guy's getting over, this guy's been having good matches, this guy's been doing everything for us, this is the guy really that, that we need to take a look at? Gosh, there's so many. It's hard to, to narrow it down. I mean, Cesaro comes to mind. I think of, of everybody who is uh, underused, he is the one who stands out the most as being most underused because in, in him you see a guy who very much is the, the total package. I got to interview him some months back for, for Pro Wrestling Illustrated, a, a long-form interview, and um, I think you got glimpses of this also in, in the uh, Table for Three that they just put out with him yep. and Ambrose and uh, Kevin Owens. I mean, a guy who uh, is just charismatic, sharp, intelligent, uh, large, good-looking, well-spoken, technically uh, a sound, uh, strong. I, I just... Yeah, of of all those guys, um, and there's so many, uh, Dean Ambrose, uh, even, um, what's his name, Neville, uh, all these guys have huge upsides, and, and you want to see them uh, do more with them. But looking at, at it from WWE's perspective, you could see the, the flaws that they see in all those guys. Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens is, is out of shape. Neville is too small, uh, and on and on and on. Not that I agree, but I... I I can see the way they see it. I just don't right. get it with Cesaro. I mean, other than, you know, what Vince McMahon said on, on that uh, Austin podcast about him being too Swiss, whatever that means. <laughs> um, but but otherwise, I mean, you'd almost think that he's like Vince McMahon's wet dream. Uh, and and uh, it, it's hard to figure out what they have against the guy, uh, especially it'd be, it'd be one thing uh, if he was a guy who, who looks so perfect that the fans didn't respond to. And, and in a way, that's what's happening with Roman Reigns, where uh, you look at him and he's kind of the blueprint exactly what WWE would want. But the fans just, you know, he's not a flop, uh, but the fans certainly aren't coming along as fast as... Um, as everyone else, yes. Yeah, and, and as much as this man would like. But, God, I mean, the, the crowds just love Cesaro. Everything is in place there. Um, it, it's almost a worse situation or, or a more confounding situation than Daniel Bryan because... Again, not agreeing with them, you can see what WWE would pick apart in him. It's really hard to find the flaws in, in Cesaro, uh, but somehow, you know, Vince McMahon, I guess, has, has found them. Well, he is, he is too Swiss, as you mentioned. That, that <laughs> yeah. said, but here, Here's my question on that, and, and this brings up an interesting point with the way, you know, WWE superstars are bred and connect with the audience. Obviously, you, you as well as I have been following Cesaro's career for a long time, way back to when he was in, you know, Ring of Honor and Combat Zone and, and everywhere else. I, is it that he has a very unique charisma? Is it bad? Does it work against him? Maybe is a better way to say it, that his charisma is unique in the fact that it's not flashy. He's not John Cena who goes out there with the catchphrases and the T-shirts and the connection with the audience. And he's not a guy like The Rock who goes out there and you, you listen to him recite The Great Gatsby and beyond every word. He's more of a quiet, silent, kind of like, I'm very good in the ring and I'm just me and I'm cool and I know I'm good charisma. Do you think that works against him as maybe being seen that he doesn't connect with the audience in a verbal way? I don't know that he's even been given the opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think maybe uh, WWE and, and the man of decision makers have been making assumptions about how he, he would connect or wouldn't connect uh, for that matter. But 
who even knows? I mean, the guy just he's barely been given an opportunity. I mean, how often does he have any uh, much of a speaking role uh, in WWE at all? And when he does, it, it it's so tightly scripted um, that it, it I, I don't know how anybody can make a judgment about that at all. But what you can make a judgment about is where uh, you've seen him away from that tightly scripted setting, something like the table for three or interviews he's done or, you know, even if it's like an autograph signing, anything like that where you get to see the person behind the character and that's where you see the, the charisma really come through. And where there have been those opportunities, um, I, I think he's, he's really shined. And some of it isn't uh, uh, just verbal. I mean, look at a guy like Sting who... Uh, you know, one of the more charismatic personalities, I'd say, of, of our generation, the last 20 years uh, plus, was never able to, to really connect on the microphone, but just had kind of an innate charisma. And I think that Cesaro had some of that. I mean, when he, he did have a semblance of a push over the summer and um, started, you know, coming to the ring in uh, finely tailored suits and the shades, uh, I thought he just was oozing charisma and um, uh, really came off as a champion, almost like a, a Conor McGregor in, in UFC. I mean, there was just something about him that really came through. He had a very so, early horseman Ric Flair vibe about him at that point, just the, like you said, with the tailored suits and the quiet ooting, like, I'm the best and I know it kind of charisma yeah, at that point. And not every, you know, it, it, it's not as simple as just putting a suit on a guy. Uh, it, that wouldn't work for any, everybody. <laughs> right. Uh, he, he has a swagger. He's got a confidence. Um, that it, it really comes through. So, uh, again, I mean, going back to what we talked about, I, I'm, I'm not thinking he's winning the world title or, or even um, maybe he has the opportunity to go very far, but if it creates even uh, the slightest bit of upward mobility, I mean, the guy was, you know, working a, a first-hour throwaway match with The Miz last week uh, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on Raw, so almost anything would be better than, than what he's doing now. And uh, I don't know, again, when you think about guys like Steve Austin or uh, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart in, in the early 90s, uh, or on and on, um, I don't know that any of those guys would have had the opportunity to become the, the stars uh, that they did if WWE had a fully healthy uh, roster right. um, and, and one that wasn't depleted. So uh, hopefully... You know the proverbial gun is is the WWE's head right now, and and uh, they're forced to make moves that they wouldn't otherwise make. It's funny that you mentioned you know Kevin Owens in in part of that response about Cesaro too, because I, I'm going to reference that table for three, which for me too, having gone to you know to hear them reference uh, the cookies at CZW shows and knowing what yeah. that means, like that's that's a cool moment for me. And Kevin Owens and Cesaro too, to an effect, have that sort of smarter audience behind them that has followed them throughout their whole career. The the issue I see, and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, and maybe or maybe you can back me up on this, is when you mention someone like Owens versus someone like Cesaro. Kevin Owens in that table for three comes off as a genuinely humble. Like I remember five years ago when I was driving from Canada to Philly for twenty bucks just for my opportunity. And when it comes to his character, the backside of that is I know I'm better than you, John Cena, but this is my chance, and I'm going to do anything and everything I can. And, and Kevin Owens' character can best be described as just a jerk and a bully, really. But he's going to do anything and everything he can to get himself to the WWE Championship or higher goals because that's what feeds his family. On the other side, you have Cesaro, who's the same way, but hasn't necessarily made that connection to the audience. And maybe you know that—that's what I meant more by that, the verbal charisma is that that connection just isn't 
necessarily inferred as easily based on the way he is presented as a character. I, I really think it's it's uh, a matter of opportunity, and even if you look at their comp- compare those two guys, uh, Kevin Owens got a win against John Cena in his first match in the company, uh, and and was highly featured right off the bat. Kevin Owens got a bigger push in his first month yeah. than Cesaro has had in however many years he's been in WWE now, three four years. Um, so I, even uh, it not being. The, the most apples to apples comparison because of just the differences in, in how long they've been there. Um, I'd say that Kevin Owens has gotten more of a good faith push than Cesaro has. And I don't know if that's just because he's American, because um, I, I, I'd bank on, and, and I like Kevin Owens a lot, I'd bank on Cesaro before I'd bank on, on uh, Kevin Owens. And, and going back to that table for three thing, I think you'd see, um, and, and I like how all those guys came off, and, and I really love that series because you do get a glimpse at why some guys are stars and even why some guys are, are not. I don't know if you saw the one with, uh, what's his name, Joe Hennig. Uh, oh, Curtis, Curtis Axel, yeah. He was very yeah. um, very just subdued and, like, amazed. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's sort of the flip side of it is that you see that and you say, oh, that's why he's not, not a star. <laughs> right. and, and you get it. Um, but but uh, the flip side of that is uh, you, you see a, a Cesaro, and I, I thought... The difference between Owens and Cesaro there was, uh, I, I think that somewhat in contrast to his character, the real Kevin Owens came off as kind of, aw shucks, you know, I'm so lucky to be here. And I remember he gave an, an interview to WWE.com um, some months back. It was right after he signed, and WWE.com did this uh, uh, interview with a lot of kind of the, the indie darlings of, yeah. of NXT. Mm-hmm. And he said something to the effect of, I've never even read my contract. And uh, Neville, like, oh, me neither. And they're all kind of celebrating the fact of, like, yeah, none of us were the contract. We're just so happy <laughs> to be here. We're so honored, um, that kind of thing. Right. And maybe this man wants to hear that. What I see in Cesaro is a guy who is very much, of course I'm supposed to be here. Look at me. You know, I'm, why wouldn't I be here? I, I think it's a more, uh, uh, a real confidence, a legitimate confidence, and for good reason. Uh, and, Again, who knows? Maybe that's a factor too. You know, I, I think that uh, a lot of these these indie guys, and I, and I think, and and um, I hope that this is changing now the mindset. But a lot of those indie guys come in here with with a strike or two strikes against them uh, because of that that inherent resentment from the mm-hmm. being from the man that you think you're stars, uh, but you were you didn't become stars here. And maybe what they want is more of that. Kind of humble whip dog uh, kind of attitude that you're seeing, and it's not a, a put down to Kevin Owens at all. I think he's fantastic, uh, but I, I think they want everybody to drink the Kool Aid and, and you know go to church on Sundays, that kind of thing, and be happy that they've made it, as opposed to be striving for the, to make it even further, so to speak. They want, uh, I think, uh, they want their employees to think that WWE is doing a favor for them, that they need them, and not the other way around. And I think Cesaro. Um, carries himself uh, rightfully so, and in the tradition of the the biggest stars in wrestling history, of you need me, I'm the star. You know, you need me more than I need you. Right, uh, and maybe that's being held against him. It's very possible. There's a guy on the flip side of that, and, and it's going to lead me to my my next question about the tournament itself. The guy on the flip side of that is Roman Reigns, who is sort in sort of the chosen one, so to speak. You know, the guy WWE seems to be getting behind. There's a lot of scuttlebutt out there among the dirt sheets and among various other, you know, smart fans and entities that 
WWE could simply rehash the Survivor Series from 1998 and turn Roman Reigns into the corporate champion. And, you know, you can then come when Seth Rollins comes back, he comes back as a baby face and you've got a feud with Dean Ambrose built in and this and that. That's something a lot of people seem to expect. In a lot of cases, WWE will kind of tend to do things people don't expect in that regard just to, to avoid booking to that audience. But in this case, would that be the worst thing in the world if maybe the, the expected outcome is just the one they go with? No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I think that that is potentially a, a really compelling scenario and one that could help spark some business for, for WWE. And maybe that, you know, we talk about all the decisions that maybe WWE is forced into making uh, because of, of losing all these top stars. Uh, maybe not just a matter of uh, who you position where, but, but how, uh, how you position them and, and what roles they have. And maybe they expedite what I think a lot of people think is, is Roman Reigns' natural role, and that, that is uh, as a heel. Um, they, they've seemed so kind of stubborn. And I'm not really that down on, on Roman Reigns. I, I see a ton of upside there. I get it. You know, I, I don't think it's a situation uh, like with, with Batista at the Royal Rumble a couple of years back where they were just, so uh, oblivious and so off the mark. There, there is something uh, very much there with Roman Reigns. Right. Uh, I think it's a matter of presentation, and maybe uh, this forces them to present him in a different way, in the right way, in the mm-hmm. more natural way. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'd very much like to see that. And you think about the possibilities that that opens up. Well, but you do have to think about it. I'm kind of thinking about it as, as we're talking about it. What do you do from there, though? Who is uh, is positioned to then chase Roman Reigns as, um, at least until John Cena comes back? And and I guess in the big picture, that's not a whole lot of time. And that pairing makes a whole lot of sense, uh, I think. A... Uh, John Cena is the returning hero looking to, you know, bring down the new corporate champion. Uh, I, I really like that. Uh, they, they need something to do in the next few months, and, and um, I guess Dean Ambrose makes a lot of sense, uh, as, as if only an interim uh, program for the two of them. So He's your immediate yeah. number one foil right there, based on, you know, you look at just fantasy booking here for a minute, which, which Dan did as well with me. You know, if that happens, Dean Ambrose is your immediate number one challenger. Logically, yeah. he's, he's now mad that both of his best friends have turned on him. He's coming after the title. He can lose every match he's in for the rest of his career and still be over because, he's, because of his character. Then you, you can have John Cena, the conquering hero, with the subtext that Triple H heads the authority, Triple H is Ric Flair's protege, John Cena is one title away from tying Ric Flair's record, Triple H will do anything and everything to keep him from that. Maybe the next step then is Brock Lesnar with that rematch at WrestleMania. So there's enough, there's enough there, I think, that if the expected outcome is what happens, there's enough there to carry you through to, to WrestleMania and then reset once Seth Rollins comes back. There's another natural challenger. I think an, an important ingredient that we're not talk about, talking about that I think may factor heavily into uh, the Survivor Series and that tournament is Alberto Del Rio. Um, pretty clearly, they have got big plans for him. They're certainly, you know, if you, if you believe the, uh, the reports, they're certainly spending a lot of money on him. Um, and my, my sense from uh, his first two weeks was that uh, they were looking at something of a slow build, but maybe that's another kind of byproduct of, of all this is that that's expedited, too. Right. I, I really wouldn't be surprised to see him win that tournament and become the next champion. And if, 
if they're still holding on to uh, this this dream, this goal of theirs of having Roman Reigns as the top babyface, as as the hero of the company, uh, then that might be where they go with uh, Alberto as a heel champion. And maybe it's not a prolonged thing. Maybe it's only a program that lasts a few months and Reigns chasing him. Uh, I can very much see that happening. That would be an interesting dynamic with them as well because you have the, you know, Alberto Del Rio representing Mex-America now, so he's the U.S. champion and world champion, and there, there's a whole ton of dynamics there. Let me ask you about the tournament itself, and Dan and I were in disagreement a little bit about this, so I want to see where you stand on this. Is this a situation where WWE should just take 16 guys, throw them out there, say, this is it, this is the tournament, maybe qualifying matches with the four shows they have now between, um, between now and Survivor Series with two Raws and two SmackDowns, or is this better served with, like, you know what, guys need to jockey for position because there's only X number of slots, and we're going to give them the people we find worthiest as opposed to, well, anything can happen. Here's 16 qualifying matches. I definitely don't want to see 16 qualifying matches. And I also think it's, it's just not realistic. If you, if you 16 qualifying matches means 32 wrestlers, if my, my yes. math is correct, <laughs> I don't know that you could, I mean, with, without putting... Um, you know, one half of, of the Matadors in the World Title Tournament. I don't know if you could get there. Well, the knockouts uh, are in the TNA World Title Series, so, I mean, anything can happen <laughs> in wrestling. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd much rather see something a little more scaled down. Maybe you start with eight guys, and maybe um, the the quarterfinals are on Raw, and you go to Survivor Series uh, just for the semifinals and, and the finals. I'd be okay with that. And I also... Uh, don't know that they they need to move that far away from where they were going anyway. You know, it looks like they were moving toward a Dean Ambrose and Kevin Owens program, uh, presumably Del Rio and Jack Swagger. I don't know if you could really justify Jack Swagger being in the, the world title tournament. Well, he's a uh, former but, champion, at least, so there is that angle. Yeah, but, the, but theoretically, you could still do those matches and um, make them tournament matches and, and they advance from there. Um, you know, they they've got a whole pay-per-view to flesh out. Right. And uh, that's one thing that, that I worry about being something of a downside is that uh, matches that were being logically built to now get abandoned because it's kind of panic mode. You know, I think they were pretty clearly they were uh, moving toward a, uh, I would think, a four-on-four four elimination match with the Wyatts and under t- the, the Brothers of Destruction and whoever two other people flesh out that team. I've wondered, do they break that up? Do they abandon it now to get some of those Wyatts in the tournament, at least Bray Wyatt? Uh, I hope they don't do that. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, this much is the case. For the first time in a long time, I think there's um, there's some excitement. There's a lot of reason to watch her on Monday night. I mean, I think people are going to be talking. I'll be curious to see what the rating is Monday night. Um, as you know, I think there's there's a feeling that something's happening here. You know, it's it's definitely creating a buzz it hasn't had in quite a while based on the ratings, obviously, especially my next question was about the, the undertaker Kane Wyatt situation. You, you know, we've talked at length about the tournament itself, but here's the other match, you know, set for survivor series. It seems some kind of four on two, three or four elimination match with the brothers of destruction and the Wyatts. Given that survivor series has been about promoting the 25 years of undertaker and, and everything and the way they've executed this angle so far, this still, as much as it, as any of those guys, Bray Wyatt or Taker or Kane, would seem to be logical choices to be in a tournament. This yeah. still feels to me, and Dan agreed, that this is a match that still needs to happen in some iteration one way or the other. 
Yeah, I would go ahead with it. I mean, I really do think you could do a tournament without any of those guys. Um, yeah, if if any of those guys was a surefire bet to be the world champion, uh, I could see making that move. Uh, but whether you're talking Kane or, or Undertaker or even Bray Wyatt or anybody else, I mean, I don't I don't think any of those guys is the best choice to be world champion. So I don't see any need to uh, disrupt that match. It, it potentially disrupts whoever uh, Taker and Kane's two partners were going to be, assuming they, they had partners and they weren't going two-on-four, which maybe is the case. Uh, I, I don't know if they had plans for, for two singles wrestlers, you know, theoretically a Dean Ambrose, even though it looked like they are moving to, to Dean versus uh, Kevin Owens. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. maybe you, you gotta um, scrap that and find two other guys, and I think it's fine. I mean, I think you could you could put almost anybody in that position. I, I'm okay with putting the Usos in there. They're, they're popular, and you can have them be eliminated. Um, you know, one and two, and then it gets down to budget destruction versus all four whites. That's fine. Uh, so, yeah, I. I and that's the flip side of, of what happens, of the, the bad part of what happens when they have a run like this where they lose so much top talent that uh, a panic sets in. And where on one hand, there's some benefit, some good that comes out of that because they're forced to make good decisions uh, that they wouldn't otherwise make. Sometimes I think you could also make panic decisions and abandon things that you shouldn't abandon. Uh, so I, I, and I'm no big fan of the Wyatts, nor a, a feud between the Wyatts and, and uh, the Brothers of Destruction, but I think they've built it logically. I think it's fine. I think it's a, a good and natural place to go with Undertaker after having him lose the feud to Brock Lesnar. I see no reason to shake that up. With that said, real quick, my answer has changed since the injury happened. My original answer was Big Show and Daniel Bryan who wouldn't have to do much but would pop the crowd and would make sense against the Wyatts. Now my answer has changed to Big Show and Mark Henry simply for size purposes. Given that match, four on two, you need to fill out the Undertaker's team. Right now, logically, given the world title situation, who do you think makes the most sense or the best for business, to use a Triple H term, as their, as their partners in, in that match? I don't like either of the guys you mentioned, uh, or really any three of them, um, you know, my, my sense is that that match is going to be a vehicle to showcase the Undertaker, if not Undertaker and Kane, right? So you can assume that whoever they team with is going to be eliminated. Right. So I definitely wouldn't want to put Daniel Bryan in there um, to just be eliminated if and when he comes back. And he's another guy that we could talk about, you know, fitting into WWE's plans in, in the coming months as they, they look to guys to flesh out the, the top tier uh, I, I don't know what the prognosis is, you know, the, the most recent prognosis is, but he's a guy who could factor in big time, so I wouldn't Absolutely. waste him in that uh, spot. Uh, big Show has just gone back and forth so many times. I don't know that, that he's worth anything. I don't know that the fans could really get behind him. I think it's a spot um, that, that makes a lot of sense for a tag team to be in, and I like the Usos in there. You know, the Usos uh, just came back. For a while there, before Jay's injury, and and um, about a year and a half ago, when when Cena was feuding with Bray Wyatt, yep, they were uh, feuding the, with the Usos. Were a, yep. they, they were a hugely popular act. I mean, they might have been the number two baby faces mm-hmm. uh, in in the company, and for that matter, in the country behind John Cena. And remember, they were feuding with um, 
the other members of the Wyatts, and uh, we're just getting enormous pop, selling a ton of merchandise, uh, and got a nice pop coming back last week. I think you could easily put them there, I, I believe, and I'm not watching my SmackDown that closely, but I believe that uh, the, the, the Wyatts beat up on, uh, was that the Wyatts or was that, uh, yeah, I think it was the Wyatts that beat up on, on one of the Usos some weeks back. Um, I was trying. Any event, <laughs> whatever the case, it, it's easy enough, to, I think, to plug them in, get a little pop. People know they're going to be, you know, well, going back 25 years, they would be, I guess, the Coco Beware and <laughs> who else was on that team? It was, yeah, it was uh, Coco, Dusty, and the Hart Foundation, so maybe it's yeah, Coco and Neidhart. It would be the Coco and Jim Neidhart of <laughs> that team, I guess. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think it's fine. You put them in there, they get eliminated. You know, you, you could build toward a feud with a tag team feud with two members of, of the Wyatts. Uh, I think that makes all the sense in the world without having, I, I mean, I, because it, it's uh, a conundrum that you point out. I mean, to have two meaningful singles wrestlers in that spot means plucking two meaningful singles wrestlers out of the tournament. So uh, it makes a lot more sense to put in a popular tag team in there. Al Castle, Pro Wrestling Illustrated Senior Writer, thank you very much for your time and your insight. I know you have your own podcast as well, the PWI Podcast, which we've mentioned earlier in the show here. So if you just want to give everybody an opportunity to let them know where they can, uh, where they can listen to that. Yes, and you've got to return the favor. Come on uh, our podcast uh, real soon. You oh, of course. great on the show when we've had you on before. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you can listen to it. Uh, you can find it on iTunes, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast or the PWI Podcast. Uh, you can also find it, uh, you can stream it directly at pwi-online.com. Our most recent episode that just went up, um, I think two days ago, is the most downloaded episode to date. We've been at it for about uh, 10 months now, I think, and um, it features an interview with Nikki Bella uh, that Dan conducted. She's the number one ranked wrestler yep. in this year's Female 50. The digital edition of the Female 50 issue uh, just went up at uh, the website, pwi-online.com, and the print issue will be on sale uh, early next month. So it is a busy time at PWI. We just did the 500 um, a couple months back. That That is probably still available on some newsstands. We got the Female 50 now, and before you know it, we'll have our year-end awards. So uh, it's the busy season for us. You just got all of my plugs for PWI rolled into one right there. So all, <laughs> I, all I have left to say is, Al, great stuff as always. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it, Luke. There you have it. Great stuff from Al Castle as well as Dan Murphy, Pro Wrestling Illustrated Senior Writers. Uh, I'm going to step back out of my uh, PWI contributing writer, Louis D. Mold, and into Lou DiPietro, the co-host of The Chris Sheeran Show, to remind you that next week, Chris will be back. We'll be back with all kinds of nets and free agency goodness, a lot of things going on in the sports world. We hope uh, you enjoyed this little foray into WWE, uh, the WWE universe, as it may be, for this week. Until next week, when Chris returns, I am Lou DiPietro. Thanks for listening to The Chris Sheeran Show, and we will see you next time.